Well, uh, appreciate you being back here. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, Sam's teaching on the, uh, the pastor as a disciple maker. I uh, appreciate all of you that are joining us online in uh, listening groups. Uh, and uh, a, lot of good, a lot of good stuff being taught here. Uh, and so we'll uh, do this first session with Sam, and then uh, Randy Copeland's going to come and teach in the next session, uh, talking about issues uh, that we face in discipleship. So let me pray for us, and, uh, and then Sam's going to come teach us. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful uh, for the morning. We're grateful for this day. We thank you that you've brought us here together. We thank you for uh, all the churches that are represented here, uh, for the heart that you've put within them to uh, multiply uh, disciples and to, to multiply worshipers literally unto you, and that you would be honored and glorified. Uh, Father, I pray to this, this morning as Sam teaches us that you would uh, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. Uh, Father, may we hear it in, in such a way that we would uh, be able to go home and, and apply the things that we're learning. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would protect us from uh, the temptations and the things that want to draw us away from uh, a biblical philosophy of ministry. Uh, may we not be allured by this world's definition of success. Uh, may we seek to simply please you with our lives. Uh, may we simply seek to be good stewards of who you've entrusted to us. Uh, may we seek to, to bring honor and glory to you and not ourselves. Uh, Father, I, I just ask you to uh, take these things and teach them to us today. And uh, we're grateful again to, to be here and for the things that we're learning. We pray all this in the, the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Okay, grab your handout. And the page that has the ministry wheel on it, we'll review. We'll start right there. Uh, the photocopy came out a little bit light, and so you might have missed the arrow. Okay, so look at the, the wheel. The starting point of the ministry wheel starts with the COD. And what we were saying yesterday is if we're going to do the things that produce the results that we're biblically commanded to pursue... That's going to mean saying yes to the right things, and we're going to have to say no to a lot of good things. And, and again, the goal here for me this week with you is I'm just lifting up the hood on MBT, and I'm just showing you what we're doing as a local church and, and how we're rolling to trust God to make disciples, train and equip, and then ultimately send proven leaders to reproduce ministry around the world. And so... We, you know, there's a lot of good ideas that people will have for ministry, and, and, and I always want to make as much space for, for, for people to implement good ideas as we can. The more people can own the ministry, the better. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's not falling out to winning souls, if the activity isn't working to make disciples, if it isn't helping to train and equip um, leaders, then it, it really can be a waste of time. And so... We talked about the, the, the time demand on the average church member's life. You know, and at MBT, in terms of times with just the Bible open, we're talking this can get up to five or more points of contact a week. And if they're going to have time to build relationships with the lost, in other words, if the leaders now, they're trained and they begin to prove themselves out in ministry, when it's time for them to be fruit-bearing, what's that going to look like? Well, you know, if they're older or they're adult, they're going to win their kids to Christ. But ideally, they're working a field because <laughs> that's what we're commanded to do. And, the, and, and to build those relationships with the lost, that takes time. 
And so we want to make sure that they have it. We, we don't want to keep them so busy doing good things that we ultimately never end up accomplishing the commanded thing. And so uh, the, the wheel that we have there is, is, you know, in terms of the start, when somebody comes into MBT, we set the bar with COD and the new members class. We want to make sure people know biblically, um, here's who we are as a church. Here is what we're all about. Here is the definition of a disciple of Christ. And until you're ready to move forward on this path for growth, and, and the, if you stand in the lobby of our church, it's going to look very similar to the lobby at FBC. You know, it's, there it's laid out in a very linear fashion. You start with discipleship, you know, then uh, the COD, discipleship, the new members class, and then from there, D2, uh, where you learn how to do the same things yourself, how to make disciples, how to win people in ministry, and then from there, LFBI, and then once you're equipped and once you are a fruit-bearing leader, then we want to trust the Lord to see your ministry multiply somewhere else in the world. So in that model... The way that the ministry works is, as we do ministry, we're training the leaders. And we're training the leaders by doing ministry. Another way that we would say that is we don't use men to build the ministry. So the idea isn't, hey, we have a need for somebody to work in, in uh, the junior high ministry, for example, okay, in student ministry. Um, we're not looking for a good guy to hire, to bring in, to do junior high ministry for us. We're actually looking at our pool of growing leaders and can we select a man, a team, can we put a team together? We'll train them, we'll charge them, we're going to meet with them, we're going to support them, we're, 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 we're counseling them, but, but ultimately they're going to learn how to do ministry by doing ministry. And so um, they may even be an LFBI, but, but here's your ministry practicum. And so obviously we use men to build the ministry, but it's not you know, hiring the pro so that it gets done right. Uh, we're training up our kids in the work that God's commanded over their life. And so we use the, the ministry to build men. Uh, that's the goal. That's the objective. And so that's where we left off last week. And I think we came down to the key. We're always allowing for our growing leaders to plug into that Ephesians 4, 10 through 17 structure, right? What begins with the Bible and then works through every member being fitly joined to the body of Christ. Now, every member is supposed to be able to find their place where they can be a part of building up the body of Christ in faith. And so that's my job as a pastor, to make sure that that Ephesians 4 structure is online and that it's working. Is there a place for people who are, man, they're serious about the Word of God, they're serious about serving God? Well, man, I'm, I'm so glad to meet you. <laughs> we have room for you. We have a place for you. And we want you to be a part of moving the ministry forward at MBT. And so that brings us to our next point, and hopefully you know where you're at in your notes, the MBT ministry training structure. Okay, so this is what it looks like. Jeff kind of laid this out for you yesterday at FBC. Ours is very similar. Um, um, you know, it, it is a like-minded fellowship of churches. And so for us, we start with the cost of discipleship, and I shared that with you last year, why we did that. Uh, you know... We're commanded to invest in faithful men, but the, the, the problem is a faithful man who can find. Uh, everybody proclaims their goodness and their greatness, but it's tough to find a faithful, a faithful servant of God that will go and take what is invested in them and teach others also. And so we started the cost of discipleship. It's a, a study basically based out of, of the Gospel of Luke, and basically if you're going to 
be a disciple, you're going to lay down your life following Christ, not according to how you feel, but according to what God's word says. Uh, if you're going to build the work, you're going to count the cost up front. And if you're not willing to say, I'm ready to lay my, my life down following Christ according to his word, I'm going to be a learner and I'm going to be a follower of the word of God, well, then we're not ready to pair you up yet. Uh, because this is a six-month to a one-year commitment for one of our, our leaders, for one of our members. And so uh, at the end of that process, if they say, you know what, I'm not ready, I've taken the cost of discipleship class, and I recognize I'm not at that place right now, great, we love you, you're welcome to attend, we, we want you here, uh, you're free to hang with us, right? But if you want to move forward as a, as a disciple of Christ, if you want to be equipped for ministry, it starts with COD. And uh, Pastor Morgan's teaching that this week. If, if you need information on that, I would refer you to Pastor Kenny Morgan. Then the new members class, uh, everybody gets shuffled right into it uh, from the cost of discipleship class. Other people start in the new members class, and then from the new members class, we shuffle them right into COD. Uh, we want to make sure, you know, because a member contributes. A member is a part of who we are as a local church. And so again, in the new members class, we are setting a biblical bar. We're setting a biblical standard for membership. And if you're not ready to be a member, no problem. We love that you're here. Uh, if this is the place that God will fitly join you, that will work itself out in time. But if not, uh, if God has you, I mean, I don't know. I've lost count of how many churches there are in Kansas City. There's well over 2,000. Uh, it's probably 2,500 and, and, and counting in the Kansas City metro area. There's going to be a place that you can plug into. But in the new members class, um, if you want information on what we're doing there, I would recommend you contact Pastor Best. He is actually the pastor in charge of our new member process. But in the new members class, um, we're not asking our members to understand everything up front. But we are asking them to consider uh, our, our, our red lines. And if you can't submit to our red lines, then this isn't going to be the church for you. Okay, so... They have to work through our statement of faith. Uh, they have to be able to submit to the idea that everyone at MBT that is teaching will be teaching from a King James Bible. Uh, they're welcome to read whatever they want at home. Okay, so we get that, that people coming into the church maybe don't have our background, our training, our history. But if God is bringing you here and you want to be a part of what we're doing here, you'll have to be able to submit to the idea that we're all thumping a KJV. And, um, you know, the, the ministry principles that, that we operate under, we make them study those out. We make them read those and say, hey, this is how we roll as a ministry. And if you can't, you don't have to understand it all, but you have to be at peace that you can submit to it. Uh, nobody's going to be rolling up in your business all the time. But if you make problems for our business, then it's going to be a pro Trust me, it'll be a problem. Because we've had this happen. Uh, we go through the new members. I don't know how to be any clearer. At the point where you're leading somebody else in ministry, you're going to be doing that from your... I mean, if you're an English speaker, if you're teaching in English, you're going to be doing that from a King James Bible. And if there are words that you don't understand, I'm going to trust you to go look them up so that you're not speaking in ignorance, okay? That's how this is going to work. And we've had... I mean, it just never ceases to amaze me how many people that we've had that have joined our church with the idea that somehow they're going to straighten us out and they're going to teach from their ESV that we're going to, we're going to all go through the tribulation and, um, you know, we'll have to endure to the end, I guess, to be saved. And so 
Um, and then we go to them and say, uh, you're not going to do that here. Um, remember when we met at the beginning, and, and then they're incensed, like, I, I never knew, and, well, okay, this, <laughs> this may not be a fit for you. Okay, so that's the goal of the, the new members class. Up front, we want to set the expectations very clearly. Uh, like Jeff was saying yesterday, it needs to be very clear, it needs to be very plain, so that people know whether they fit or not. And then the, D, the D1 process starts, and, the, and again, I'm, this is old hat for you guys. The, the goal with the material is to make sure that four things are a reality in the life of the believer. Those four goals are online and they're operational. And then from there, because they started at COD, everybody going through D1, they know that they're going to D2. In other words, from COD, they recognize they weren't just learning to gain Bible knowledge for themselves in and of themselves. At COD, we, we set the groundwork that God wants to use you in the lives of other people. That's why you're going to be discipled. We work through that whole process of 2 Timothy 2.2. And so they know the end game isn't the end of the 18 lessons, the end game is to get equipped to do this themselves. And so from, uh, from D1, we do a celebration like Jeff was talking about. We get them up in front, and, and they get a certificate of completion of D1, and, and uh, everybody claps, and we, we pass them out the book of the month, whatever that is. And, and uh, everybody's super excited about that, but then they immediately get an invitation to Discipleship 2, and, and uh, we'll talk about the outline for that in just a little bit. But that's where they're trained uh, here's what a servant of God looks like, and here's what a servant of God acts like. <laughs> and we walk them through the philosophy and, and of discipleship, how to disciple and, and how, to, how to work their Bible. And then from there, LFBI. And the goal there, obviously, you guys know this, it's to envision and train growing leaders. And then as, they, as, as, they're, as they're in that D2 to LFBI process, one of the things that we're doing constantly, okay, this, just like we talk about discipleship all the time. So you guys know one of the greatest discipleship tools that any local church has is the, is the pulpit, right, and the announcements, okay? Uh, the announcements are a big deal. If we're just giving people information about what's happening where at what time, we're, we're missing out. We need to say what's happening, where, at what time, and here's why we're doing it. Okay, the, the, the why is a big deal. And so that's a huge tool for discipleship in a local church. In other words, there's a level at which the announcements kind of need to preach. Because we're not just doing this because it's a good idea or it's fun. There is a spiritual outcome that comes out of this activity that's going to be good for you. Uh, same thing with the pulpit. Okay, so I'm preaching through a passage one of the drums that I'm always beating is discipleship, the discipleship drum. So the next COD class or the next new members class regularly comes up in the invitation, the altar call at the end of the service. Uh, for some people, and I'll say this all the time to MBT, some of you, you have no business coming down front. You've known this for the last several weeks. You need to go out to the lobby and you need to sign up for the next. Don't come forward. Go, go out to the lobby and uh, get... Get on the path to growth, you know, go sign up for COD, uh, sign up for new members, uh, get, 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 get on the schedule for the next baptism Sunday. Um, so I'm always beating the discipleship drum, I'm always beating the cost of discipleship, I'm always communicating about why LFBI, and, and the more I can work that in, it's, it's, it's envisioning people to get on the path of growth. And this brings us to point number two. 
point number two. This is why we must enable the church to be led by growing leaders that are growing in the word. Anybody that's come to the place where they've arrived, we don't need them at MPT. We want to work with growing leaders. We want to work with people who are continuing as students in the word of God. And we want everybody to recognize we're always in training. And so that's another motto or MBT principle that we say all the time. We are always training leaders. We're always training leaders. And that means our leaders are always growing in ministry capacity. Our leaders are always growing in the Word of God. And so in order to do that, that takes a mentality as a pastor. If I've got growing leaders, that means those growing leaders have to participate in leadership. And this is what can happen. I, I, I know this happens. Because, uh, I, I, you know, I, I talk to pastors and I, I, I read on the internet and, and I, I see what the frustrations are. It, you know, the, the guy who's the senior pastor is the guy that's the senior pastor for a reason. Uh, he's got the tool set, he's got the ability, he's got the gifting. In other words, he's typically in that local church body one of the very best, if not the best, at all things related to the pastorate, at all things related to leadership. And so what happens is, is we want God's people to have the very best, and so obviously that means we give God's people me. Well, okay. There's a level at which maybe that's true. I mean, you know, obviously God's people need you, but, but they need more than you, and the mission needs far more than you because the mission completely outstretches, out, it, it completely outmatches your capacity. And so if you're in a place as a pastor where you're thinking, since I'm the person with the most time in the Bible and the most time in ministry leadership, then I should, be, I should be the one doing all the teaching and leading at MBT. If there's a pulpit, Sam Miles is in it. If there's teaching, Sam Miles is doing it. Well, that ministry is going nowhere. That's a big, fat fail. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Is it pointing the right way? Or is it? There we go. Okay. See, I can't even. No, I need to be the one. Right? I, since I am the past, I need to be the one that makes sure I'm training and enabling growing leaders to do what I do, which means I actually got to get out of the way and let them do what I do, right? If I'm the guy that's thinking, if I want it done right, I got to do it myself. Right? Man. Okay, I can't keep it straight. Right? Fail. I mean, that's a loser. I, I, I no, I should be envisioning and teaching and training and tasking growing leaders for them to make full proof of their ministry. In other words, it's my job to make sure that they see it and own it for themselves. It's not Pastor Miles' ministry. It's, it's your ministry. And so that's my job. If I'm thinking, well, our members, you know, I mean, I sat in the big chair, so our members expect me to do all the weddings visit them in the hospital for birth, sicknesses, death, do all their funerals. I probably will do a lot of the funerals. I, I, I probably will. When I was a young man, when just first starting out in ministry, I'm like, who would ever want to do a funeral? That's just crazy. Uh, okay, I get it now. You know, it's a, a, a precious thing. Uh, but if I'm the one that's doing all of those things, uh, because, you know, I'm the guy that's in the, the, the role of senior pastor or lead pastor. I'm the one that uh, sits in the big chair. So I got to do, no, that's a failure of leadership. It's my job to train our MB growing pool of pastoral leadership, our growing deacon core to handle the needs of the church. I, I think it's been, I bet it's been four years since I've done a wedding. Now, 
I used to do a lot of weddings. <laughs> Uh, but it's just really wonderful to see the other guys coming up doing the weddings. You know, they're in that, that stage of their, their life and their ministry. And the way we've set it up, it's natural for the people to say, the person that I'm with in ministry, the pastor that I'm with in ministry, or the growing leader that is over me, I want you to do my wedding. Like, that's kind of how it rolls at Midtown. In other words, the next time I do a wedding, everybody would be like, oh, that's weird. I didn't know Pastor Miles did weddings, you know. Actually, I, I can. I can do a wedding, but I'm not announcing that because this is a great opportunity for growing leaders to be able to minister not just to the people that are with them in ministry, but to their extended family, their friends. What an opportunity to preach the gospel to the lost. You know? So it, my job is to enable the growing leadership pool to handle the needs of the church. And so I have to always be envisioning people for that. You know how it is. Okay, if you're not reminding your kids to do their chores, they'll just sit and watch TV, right? If you're not reminding, if you're not always, in, hey, you're not just doing these chores because I don't want to live in a pigsty. I mean, that is kind of really why you're doing it. But you're not just doing these chores because uh, it's for the sake of the chores. But one of these days, you're going to be your own man. You're going to be your own woman. And you, know how to, you have to know how to keep a house. You have to, in other words, it's a wonderful thing to see a 10-year-old realize, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to be my own man, and I got to be able to provide for my household. I got to, like, in other words, there's a vision for, uh, uh, there's no place for Peter Pan in the Miles house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there will be no failure to launch. And if that means you're living in a cardboard box under a bridge somewhere, well, hey, you know, uh, I'll swing by to see you every once in a while. <laughs> but, you, but, buddy, you're going to launch. That's how this is going to work, and you're going to do great. Like, don't be afraid. Uh, if you ever come to a hard time, if there's ever a crisis or a catastrophe, of course, I'm here. I got you, bro. But you're going to do great. And so here's why you need to learn how to clean your room. Here's why you need to learn how to keep a checkbook. Here's why you need to learn how to just fill in the... You need the tools and the skills that will enable you to be successful in life. Well, guess what? One of these days, young man, young woman, you're going to be a part of planning a church. This is why you've got to be on a cleaning team. Because nobody wants to attend with a people and worship God in a pigsty. And yet that happens. You visit enough churches and you will see plenty of pigsties with the name of Jesus over the door. Man, that building's got to be safe, clean, and ready. That means somebody has to have an eye for the details. Otherwise, people are coming in and they're distracted by the chaos. That's, that's people need to be able to focus singularly on the ministry of the Word of God. It takes a lot of grunt work to make that happen. Uh, for us, that's a never-ending battle. We've always got some construction project going on, and it's almost impossible to keep the grime all picked up. So we got plenty of practical training for our growing, our growing leaders. So the key is to always envision. I don't just offer teaching. I don't just offer training. But now, those that are growing in their understanding of what it takes in leadership, i got to make sure I'm tasking them to apply that information, that training, that learning, to the work of the ministry that God has given them. And as they're serving in ministry, as they're leading, it's my job to coach them through the process. And so regularly, okay, if I want to make disciples, if I want to train and equip leaders, regularly, many of the points in my sermons are going to be, okay, so now let me talk to the growing leaders at MBT. Does that make sense? And so I, there'll be something in the passage that doesn't just apply to us as a congregation. It doesn't just apply to the visitor that are checking out the things of God for the first time. But sometimes I will ignore them and say to the growing leaders, you need to remember 
and then whatever the biblical principle is. And so here's what that's going to look like in your ministry. So regularly from the pulpit, I am talking to our growing leaders about the ministry that God has for them. What am I doing? I'm training constantly. I'm always envisioning them with that training. In the announcements, several of the announcements are aimed at growing leaders. So the goal there is to envision, to teach, to train, but then this is the critical part. We can't just have people in the locker room learning plays. At some point, they have to get on the field and they've got to actually be able to execute the play themselves. And so they've got to be able to, to take a task in ministry and then it's our job as leaders to make sure that they own that task. They've got to be able to own the work. And if I'm micromanaging them every step of the way, if I'm, if I'm that stereotypical guy that says, here, I've got this work for you to do, and basically by that I mean you just watch over my shoulder while I do it, <laughs> this work that I have for you to do, and this happens all the time, they don't own the ministry, you own the ministry. They're not envisioned to take a step of faith and, and trust God to use them in the lives of people, you haven't entrusted them to be able to do it. If you don't give it to them, they will not own it. And if they don't own it, then they're never going to be able to grow and grieve through failures. Uh, they grieve first, they grow second. They never are able to, to grow from their failure, failures and, and, and become more effective in leadership. You guys have heard various versions of this leadership development formula. It starts with, I teach, you listen. I do, you watch, and then after a while, I'll teach, and then you do what I'm teaching you to do, and I'll have you start helping me with the work, right? And then, after a season of that, of teaching and you helping, now you do, and I'll watch, uh, and I'll give you feedback because I love you. I'll, I'll probably teach some more. But then, you teach, and I'll listen, and you do, I'll help. And then finally, this is the ultimate goal, you teach, you do, and I take a vacation. That's how that's supposed to work. So while they're doing the ministry, I move from um, a primary leader, like in other words, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to do it, to, hey, this is yours. If you need consulting, if you need help, I'm here. But man, the Lord bless you. You know how to do this. You're effective at this. Uh, trust the Lord to grow you in your capacity for this ministry. And uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'm basically functioning as a coach, a mentor. I'm somebody that is cheering from the sidelines. What happens is now the, the, the growing leaders recognize it's not Pastor Sam's ministry, it's my ministry. It's not Pastor Sam's church, this is my church. It's not just Pastor Sam taking responsibility for everything that needs to be done and done right. No, they, they're, they're supposed to own it just as much, just the same as me. And so I'll tell people all the time, look, there's nothing special about me in my office of pastor. There's something special about the office. And biblically, we, we understand that the office of pastor has a responsibility to make sure that doctrinally, in terms of ministry objective, the church is in bounds and heading the right direction. But in terms of the work of the ministry overall, I'm just another dude in the trenches with you. We are co-laborers together with Christ. We are co-laborers together in the ministry that God has called us to. And so if this is not your church, if you're not responsible for the ministry, for the outcomes of this local church, our objectives, our goals, then this really isn't your local church. <laughs> you have to own it. Well, if I'm always shoving them out of the way and saying, you know, check me out, you know, let me show you how it's really done, that's discouraging. I need to be encouraging them to own it for themselves. And so this is a simple, very 
I don't know if it's the most effective illustration, but, but, but if you think about ministry flow as a funnel, you're either a source for that ministry flow or you're a blockade, right? And so you look at some examples of leadership and ministry, and this is just a couple easy, simple ones, but you'll, you'll see it all over the Bible. You've got a guy like King Saul who is a micromanager. <laughs> he absolutely has a responsibility to ensure the safety and to propagate the kingdom of God. He, is, he has the responsibility over his people to ensure the will of God, the word of God, has free course in the lives of God's people. Instead, he is wasting everybody's time, resources, all the money on trying to hunt down one fugitive uh, and kill David. That's, I mean, what a, what a colossal mismanagement of resources. And no wonder the Philistines eat their lunch. By the time you get down to the end of 1 Samuel, Ichabod. <laughs> it really is true. I mean, the whole thing is a mess because Saul was in the way of God's will for his people. He was, he was micromanaging everything. He was misdirecting everything. And, of course, they ended in ruin. Um, then you see, conversely, you see David. And you see the magnification of the mighty men uh, that are with him. You see him entrusting his leaders for the work. You look at the example of Jesus and Paul as disciples. Uh, they're not a blockade to the flow of the, the, the ministry funnel flow. They're actually a source that supplies it. They're multiplying workers for the harvest. They're enabling the kingdom of God to grow and thrive. And so to do that, that takes faith. Because anytime I entrust a growing leader with a work, that means there's going to be a mess to clean up. Every time. Without exception. I've been... In the, I mean, I've been a pastor since 1998. I still make regular mess. I got to clean up my own messes. Okay, so for people that are just starting out in ministry, they're making messes all the time. But that's how the ministry multiplying the work of multiplying the ministry gets done. Uh, we got a guy that that does a lot of construction around the church, and we're always grousing at him about the mess that he's making. It's like, couldn't you have shut that door? Before you started making a mess, I mean, what, does the mess have to be all over the whole church? And one of the things he just keeps firing back, he says, look, if I ain't making a mess, I ain't working. <laughs> and it's like, man, that's, that's true. That's kind of how, how it works, you know. Uh, training leaders will make for a messy ministry, and you've got to be okay with a little bit of chaos. You've got to be okay with a little bit of mess. Proverbs 14.4 says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Man, it's nice to have a clean crib, but you're not getting any work done. Um, so by extension, what you recognize is if there are crops going in and crops being harvested, you're always dealing with poop. You see that? That's exactly what that you're going to always be dealing with some oxen poop. And you can say, well, the solution is get rid of the oxen, and then I'll just run everything the way that I Well, you're not going to run much, and it's not going to go anywhere, and there's not going to be fruit. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Man, I love young people getting on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so awesome. It's so awesome to see a kid somewhere between, you know, 15 and, and 30, somewhere in that age, like, they get it. It clicks. And they start learning the Word of God for themselves. And it's like, man, their mind's getting blown all the time. And they never knew that the Bible addressed all this stuff. And they're like, what do I do with this? Well, if you know something, you need to be able to say something. God wants to use you in the lives of people. And then they'll, they'll start trying to get involved in the lives of people, and they're just making a big mess. 
And uh, praise the Lord for everybody in the church whose desires, right? Their want to is set to, God, your will rule and reign over my life. Man, those messes get cleaned right up. <laughs> You're able, it, it's, it's like actually very healthy. Um, the, 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 one of the best examples I can give you is uh, a lot of disease that we have today. The doctors are saying it's because um, parents are, are, are keeping their kids too clean. You know, they're not letting their kids play in the dirt. Kids aren't eating enough mud in this generation. That's a big problem medically. And I know if you eat dirt, like, you're going to probably get sick. Well, yeah, that's, that's actually what's happening is, is with the pets and the animals and the, and the, and the outdoor life, you're actually, your body has to fight for its life all the time, and it builds up this immune system. And that way, when the big bug comes along that really can take you out, You've got a robust immune system. Well, the same thing's true in the life of the church. Uh, you've got all these potential little contagions running around. <laughs> that, that it's like this guy's just got, or this little gal's just getting started in ministry, and half the stuff that they're saying is just like, you said what? That's so stupid. <laughs> what in the world? And, and we're always cleaning up. Like we're, we, in our last uh, elders meeting, one of the things I do um, regularly, Tuesday night before our corporate prayer ministry, uh, the guys who are growing leaders on a high level, okay, so the, 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 the newer leaders to the big ministries of MBT, we take about an hour and a half before prayer meeting, and we sit around a big table, and uh, if I've got something that I need to make sure I'm sharing, clarifying, correcting, I'll take a few minutes and do that, just so that we're all on the same page, but then I want to make sure that they're getting what they need for where they're at in ministry. And so I just ask them, like, what's going on? Is there a problem that you're having that you need help with? I mean, with this many people around the table, and there'll be typically 20 guys sitting around the table, uh, we'll, we'll surely be able to figure out uh, what the Word of God says, what the Spirit of God is saying in terms of how to move forward with the problem. And so we'll do that every Tuesday. The first Tuesday of the month, I just meet with the pastors before prayer. So there's, I think, seven of us now that crowd into my office, and, and we do basically the same thing. We'll talk about maybe issues we wouldn't be comfortable talking about in front of everybody else. And, and again, the same principle applies. The pastors of MBT, if they've got a problem, uh, let's talk about that. Let's work through that. If you need help, we're here. We'll, we'll help find that help uh, to address whatever the need is. And so the, the, the guys meeting before the prayer minister, I think it was last Tuesday or the Tuesday before, um, you know, we had one of our growing leaders tell a guy that he can't talk to girls. It's like, what? <laughs> Kid's 17 years old, and he gets told by, uh, you know, somebody who's really functioning as a mentor that he, that he can't talk to girls. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's the word, right? I don't know if that actually happened, but that's the word that can't, you can't talk to girls. It's like, well, then he's doomed. I mean, how's he ever going to find a wife? Like, logically, there's problems with that. And then, biblically, I mean, Paul told him, actually, how he was supposed to interact with girls. He Just treat them with purity. That's your sister. In other words, the implication is uh, you're going to talk to girls, like, biblically. I, I got book, chapter, and verse for that. Okay, so, um, man, what a wonderful thing. So this kid is, like, all confused. I can't talk, I can't talk to you. You know, like... What a wonderful thing for him to have to work through. So what happens now is, is every time we work through something, every time there's a mess made and every time we clean it up, everybody's a little sharper. Everybody knows a little bit more. Uh, somebody had to forgive something. Somebody else had to forbear something. What's happening is the immunity, the immune system of the local church is being built up. 
so that whenever the wolf or the terror tries to multiply or reproduce, we're more likely to, to know how to effectively respond to it without hemorrhaging. Does that make sense? Uh, we're building up the immune system of the, uh, of the body of Christ. And so again, that means we're going to have an informal ministry. It's not going to be slick. It's not going to be professional uh, because we've got growing leaders making messes everywhere. And praise the Lord, it's awesome. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's healthy uh, relationally. We're going to offend each other. You know, that's going to happen on this level as pastors. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to offend each other. Um, you know, here or there, we're going to be too particular, too inflexible, too this, too that, whatever. If we don't have the capacity to forgive one another and forbear one another, uh, if we can't live Ephesians chapter 4, well, then this fellowship won't go anywhere. Uh, so we got to be able to recognize that we're all crazy and that not one person is going to meet another person's full expectations over their life. But man, we thank God for each other. We're so grateful for one another. Praise the Lord. We're richer for having one another. In other words, if you can't forgive and forbear, you don't have relationships. Because everybody's going to let you down. Everybody's going to mess you over. Everybody's going to stick it to you in some way or another. <sighs> Come on, they, just, they had a bad day. Uh, or they're not, they don't have all the data that you have. They're not seeing your situation from your perspective. You can forgive them that. You can, for, you can put up with that. You can bear that. Uh, having to deal with problems is actually a very healthy thing for real relationships. Real re I mean, when a relationship is real, you can talk about anything. You can work out anything because you're going to have to. <laughs> that's, how, that's how that works. Um, so here's the key. People who train but never play are frustrated and depressed. You don't want frustrated, depressed people in your church because they're not going to talk to you about it because you're the problem. But they're going to talk to other people about it. And pastor, you know, so uh, pastor, you know, goes to Hungary and training up leaders and like, this missionary does everything. You know, they're not going to talk to him about it. They're going to talk to each other about it. And, and then Satan is going to take that gap and try to exploit it to hinder the work. But if the, if the growing leaders know that pastor is for them and he's just there to equip them and to tool them for the work, oh my goodness, these guys are going to die for him. You know, they're going to lay down their life uh, serving and, and working with their pastor, their missionary. Okay, so our growing leaders need to always be growing in the Word of God, and so that brings us to point number two. We're, always, we're not just always envisioning, we're always training. So once somebody comes through D2, okay, so again, everybody's content uh, in terms of D2 and the fellowship is going to vary. Here's what we're doing at MBT. If you don't have D2 set up, we've actually got a set of D2 lessons on LFBI that's set up in a way that any church can use it in-house. But if you, and again, this would be the goal, you know, for the first step of your church proactively participating in LFBI, uh, start with your D2. You know, build that up, and if you want, uh, you can grab, and I, there's, a, there's a handout on the way in that just kind of outlines what Discipleship 2 looks like uh, for LFBI, and you can reference that. If you have questions, talk to Pastor Morgan, but we'll give you everything, okay? Um, you don't have to use our curriculum. Obviously, you use the curriculum that introduces your people to the philosophy and the how-to of ministry in the context of your local church, but... Um, you can have what we're doing, and, and it outlines as follows. In semester one, we cover the character qualities and the spiritual qualities 
of the minister, and then we talk about what spiritual growth looks like. We cover the seven stages of spiritual growth. That's 16 weeks, two credit hours. And then semester two, we talk about the act of ministry itself, the philosophy of discipleship, how to disciple, and then how to study the Bible. And then the goal, and again, this is the way that we do it at Midtown, and this has worked out very well for us. The people who graduate from D2, they do the work, they, the work is right, they then get apprenticed as disciplers. Apprenticed is your next blank. And it's at that point that we check the giving records. And I'm with Jeff. I don't want to know how much, and this is just me personally, but I don't want to know how much people are giving. I mean, if somebody dropped $50,000 in the plate, hadn't happened yet, but if somebody were to do that, I don't want to be tempted to be a respecter of persons because if they're not going to follow the Bible, I want to be able to, without even batting an eye, just set their butt down and uh, you know, deal with them scripturally. And so I don't know how much anybody gives, and we set the bar very, very low. So what we're looking for is you know, their work for less, you know, if somebody is a member and we're assuming they work for less than minimum wage, we're looking for consistent giving. So in other words, we have this same person in our church. Uh, her greatest virtue is that she doesn't talk about giving ever. That would be a bad day if she did. <laughs> um, she does not talk about what people give, but she checks it. And if somebody's below threshold, we get a list once a year. We get a list of disciplers that aren't givers. And there may be a reason for that. If somebody doesn't have a job, how do you, the t well, tithe on zero. Praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> Uh, so we've got a lot of people who are students that are discipling, and obviously they're not at that place yet where it's, uh, there's several of them that got full rides or they're covered and they don't actually have a, a job. They might get uh, some part-time stuff here or there, and, and so their giving is going to be very spotty and very occasional. And so we recognize that. They're young. We're going to, praise the Lord, you're free to minister about the building. But the baseline mentality is, is they're going to be givers if they're going to be leaders. If you can't buy in... We don't want you reproducing, right? I mean, bottom line, everything reproduces after itself. And if you've got excuses for why the Bible doesn't apply to you, whenever it invariably comes up in the life of your disciple, well, you know, I might have an exception to the rule of God's word over my heart and life. You're going to be complicit in that rebellion. In other words, if you're not bought in, if you can't get full enough of faith to trust God with the first of out of everything that he has entrusted to you, the last thing I want is for you to reproduce spiritually at Midtown Baptist Temple. Does that make sense? And so we start right there. Uh, we want to know that anybody who is leading somebody else in the Word of God on any level, they're at least full of faith enough that they're trusting God in the tithe. And then again, from there, we're envisioning our members to get at least the first two years of LFBI. That's where they study their Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They study their Bible from cover to cover. We do, do, we do uh, two full years of Bible survey. We cover the key uh, books that are, that are difficult. We, you know, we'll cover the book of um, uh, Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews, and, and uh, we'll also cover a key doctrinal book, the book of Romans. And so they'll, they'll get the doctrinal lines uh, on the floor of ministry at that point. Um, Number three, so I've been alluding to this, we want to let our leaders lead. They've got to do the work. They've got to own it for themselves. And so now it's my job to help them, to assist them, 
to reach and lead people for themselves. Okay, so in the early days of our church, um, you know, we have 150 people. I'm the only pastor. But if the ministry is going to move forward, I, I got to be able to multiply my function as pastor, my function as leader. And so we began to identify who the other pastors are of Midtown Baptist Temple. And whenever they come on staff or whenever they take the role or the office of pastor, they, they got to take on ministry responsibility. And then from there, they have to be responsible with me to take their oversight and pass that on to the growing leaders at Midtown Baptist Temple. So the goal is we're not, we're not trying to have a handful of people who are in charge of everything. No, the goal is to build people who can be in charge of anything. Did that make sense? Uh, the goal is to have the keys, all the keys with one guy. The goal is to equip people to be key carriers. In other words, what we're building is an assembly line that is producing proven leaders that are fruit-bearing. That's the goal. So we're an assembly line. That's the concept. We're not a warehouse. The goal isn't to see how many people we can stack up at 40th and Walnut. Uh, the goal is to see how many people that come to 40th and Walnut, can we envision them, train them, and see them get some experience so that they're fruit-bearing in ministry as leaders so that they can go and reproduce what we're doing at 40th and Walnut. So we train, and then we identify leaders. Okay, we identify the leaders because it's not, mid, ministry at Midtown is not a dead end. Hopefully it's a launching pad for the rest of your life. We've got to be able to identify these growing leaders that we're trusting to launch. And this is one of the things that I've got to, frankly, do better. Uh, in the early days, this was part of the philosophy. Um, man, I just want God to use me in the lives of people. And so I would regularly make comments like, I don't care if anybody knows my name. Okay, I just want people all over the world to know the name of Jesus. And, um, and I figured we're a small church. It's not like we need a staff director. In other words, my picture doesn't have to be all over the mbtkc.org website. And to this day, my picture is not on the mbtkc.org website. That's actually turning into a big mistake. Um, because what happens is, is now, well, who's the pastor at Midtown? Well, I think it's Pastor, you know, pastor Sa I'm getting way too much traffic phone traffic, email traffic, we're going to put some faces and some names on the website <laughs> because we need to identify leaders. I mean, uh, I, I just got to get a clear second with the, the, the core leadership team, and we're going to put a list of like 100 names and contacts on, on the website so that you can talk to whoever you need to talk to about whatever you need to talk to about because they own it. They'll own that part of the ministry. So you identify the leaders. You don't want everyone running to you for everything. And uh, it is a beautiful thing, man, uh, to see the church get that. And they recognize, here's this young man, this young woman that's taking responsibility over some area of ministry, leadership, ministry oversight. And the body recognizes that. They submit to that. And now your function as, as pastor has been multiplied out to all of these leaders. And, and they're doing it. They're actually taking, I mean, that actually let you grow in your capacity as a minister? I mean, for me, what that's looked like is we've been able to develop a lot more ministry just because I've been freed up from a lot of the trench work in ministry. Does that make sense? Uh, because this leader that's coming up, he's 22 years old, he's already learned his area of ministry oversight, and he's going to say the same thing that I would say in the same situation or in the same scenario. So the ministry is multiplying because we identified this growing leader. Now, remember we, at the beginning of this session, we talked about the poor pastoral approach, 
right, the wrong thinking of, man, if it's going to get done right, I got to do it, or since I'm the guy in the big chair, everybody expects me to do it. I want to challenge you, if you wrestle with that, consider that the root of that kind of thinking is some form of pride, okay? In other words, as pastors, we want to give up on the idea that we're the one, that if ministry is going to be done right, we got to do it. Uh, you may be the best at ministry where you're at, and that's why you're doing what you do where you do it. But as pastors, we're not the one. I mean, in other words, what happens? Let's say tomorrow you die of a heart attack. Uh, do we bury the rest of your church with you? Because it's over now? In other words, the bride will move on, and she will end up with another pastor. You're not the one, okay? So we gotta, we got to plan for that. Uh, I, I got to kill off the me monster in my heart now because somebody else is going to pastor Midtown Baptist Temple. And so if I really love that church, I need to make sure I give that next pastor everything that they need and I need to be praying for them because I want them to do 10 times the job pastoring MBT than I ever could. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, I love the church that God has given me to pastor. I want them to thrive. Well, I'm 50 I'm 50. <laughs> okay, well, okay. I, I, I'm on the downhill slide. I mean, I'm picking up speed. I'm on the downhill slide. Uh, I've got, I don't know, I don't have a lot of time left to figure out who the next pastor is going to be to make sure they're trained, equipped, and envisioned. Make sure that, like, I want to be their, his number one guy, making sure he's got the support that he needs in order to do what God is calling him to do. So what i got to do now is i got to get full of faith, and i got to trust God to give the ministry away as much as is possible to envision growing leaders that, that, that are to own the ministry of the local church with me. And so that means I can't be a perfectionist. I don't get to do that. Uh, why? Because if growing leaders get chewed out every time they do something wrong, uh, they're going to get discouraged. In other words, you've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, however long you've been doing it. Well, of course you know what you're doing. Uh, the growing leader doesn't have the advantage of that experience, and so they're going to go out and make a big mess. And you, be, you need to tell them about how you made a big mess. <laughs> you need to encourage them to help you clean up that mess, and here's how we're going to do it moving forward, right? I mean, so I, I, I got to make sure that the growing leaders can win. Uh, they can't get discouraged if I think everything that they're doing is wrong and stupid and what an idiot they are. I mean... I mean, maybe they are, I don't know, but uh, it takes one to know one, so there you go. What you've been doing for 20 years, you don't want to give them grief the first time out that they're attempting to lead themselves. And so here's a picture of one, our, one of our growing leaders, uh, because I'm basically insecure and I know I'm talking to a bunch of pastors, I've been agonizing over what I'm supposed to tell you this week, all week, and, uh, and I, I try to, uh, about roughly once a month, make sure somebody else is in the pulpit at Midtown Baptist Temple. And uh, it is exciting, man. This kid, uh, he's not a kid. He's a, I mean, he's a, he's a man, man. I mean, I don't know. He's, I think he's in his early 30s. And uh, man, this guy is such a gifted teacher. I will never be able to teach as well as Vance Need. God has gifted him for this. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a total nerd, but he's totally cool. Uh, he's, I mean, he is, uh, he's got a ton of potential. He's, he's in the middle of his LFBI training, and he got the big chair on Sunday and did a wonderful job. It was so exciting. And then to be able to stand up after he preaches and say to the church, man, praise God, aren't we so rich? Aren't we so blessed? Do you see what God just did in this place? 
uh, in and through our brother. In other words, what am I doing? I'm identifying and I'm building up the growing leaders at, at Midtown Baptist Temple. I'm identifying them to Midtown Baptist Temple. Does that make sense? Here is a guy that is growing in his tool set, growing in his capacity. You need to pay attention because he's obviously going to be leading. We want to make sure we're following. Does that make sense? That's how we want to roll as pastors. I want to celebrate how God is using them. I want to praise God over them, over his work in and through their life. I want to build them up in front of the church body. Right? I want the rest of the church to see how the cream is rising to the top. And some of you, this is going to click for you, right? You're, you're, you're sitting in the church, you're sitting in the congregation at Midtown Baptist Temple, and you're going to say, well, man, if Van can do that, maybe God could use me on some level. Uh, and so, you know, maybe the Spirit would lead you to say, okay, you need to sign up for our next COD. Van started in COD, and uh, now he's running it. He's, he's on our leadership team. He's part of uh, the Pastor Morgan's discipleship oversight team at Midtown Baptist Temple. And so what God is doing in Van, he can do in you. And growing leaders need to see that I'm excited for how God is using them. And when they outshine me, I need to point it out. Man, I, I, I can never do that. That's amazing, <laughs> you know? What a, I want everybody to say about the next guy leading, pastoring Midtown Baptist Temple, he's 10 times the pastor Miles ever was. That will not offend me. That will not hurt me, because guess who trained that guy? <laughs> Success. How do you do the S? It's like, I'm probably pointing it the wrong way. I mean, success, man, that's the win. Of course I want the next guy to do a better job than me. That's what I'm, that's why I'm busting my tail. I, 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 I would love it. I, if every other pastor was, was, came to the place where they were more equipped, uh, they were more able, they were more effective in the pastorate than me, then I weep for joy. Um, that's all I have ever won. That means I've won. The guy who can train leaders and deploy them successfully, that's the guy. <laughs> that's who you want to be. You want to be the developer of people who multiply ministry. Never be insecure. Never come to the place where you're in fear that someone in your church is a better preacher, counselor, or teacher than you. You want everyone in your church to be a better preacher than you. You want them to be better counselors. You want them to be better teachers. That's your job, bro. <laughs> That's what you want. If they're a better tactician, a better discipler, man, praise the Lord. That's what you were aiming for. The next pastor of Midtown Baptist Temple, I am praying he's 10 times the man of God. He's 10 times more effective. I am praying that God will use him 10 times more than he could ever have possibly used me. And that's my job. Now, privately, because they are going to mess up. Uh, now, I mean, there may be a situation where somebody needs a public chewing. Okay, I, 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 I get that. But that shouldn't be ever what we're aiming for. We want to privately give the feedback, because they want it, okay? Your growing leaders care about what you think, and they want your criticism. They want you to tell them what they did wrong, especially the younger people. Come, like, they really do. They want it. They want, and if it's coming from a heart that says, bro, I love you. Hey, sis, I really love you, and I think you could be far more effective if you, and then you just fill in the blank, you know? They want that criticism, and if you give it in love, from a heart that clearly shows that you're for them, and that all you're wanting to do is help them do a better job in ministry, they're going to love you so much for doing that. They're going to be so grateful. So if, you're, if the way you're rolling with them is, hey, next time, here's what I want you to think about trying, they're going to be grateful for that. 
And if after the, you know, I kind of follow a, a three strikes you're out kind of philosophy, and I don't fire them after three strikes, but I, I, I ratchet up my, my language, you know, so I start with, hey, okay, so here's what you did, and here's how that came out, or here's how that came across. Next time, here's what I want you to think about, or pray about doing X, Y, Z. And if I can tell they're not getting those clues, <laughs> then after the third time, I'll be like, hey, bro, you're messing up. Uh, you're not going to do that anymore. Let, let, let's talk about what you will be. In other words, I will get very clear in my communication with them at that point. If they can't pick up on the cheering and the coaching and the hinting and the suggestions, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll get plainer in my approach. Letting leaders lead results in a lot of mistakes and a messy crib, but it's worth it because there's a ton of fruit. There is a ton of fruit. I have no idea how many Bible studies are directly started by Midtown Baptist Temple. Genuinely, I have no idea. We lost count. I can't keep up with it. Man, praise the Lord. They do it because they own it. It's their ministry. And they get the vision. They're, they're, they want to lead people who could be faithful and invest the word of God in others. It's a 2 Timothy 2.2 mindset. Here's the last thing in this section. Be willing to send proven leaders. I, I'm done at 10.15, right? Is that correct? We want to be willing to send proven leaders. And that's exciting, okay? That's an exciting vibe. I mean, trusting God to be a sending church is exciting, uh, the way I communicate it is, um, man, we're trusting God. I mean, we're nobody. Nobody knows about us. We're, I mean, anybody that would just look at us from the outside, we're despisable. But so help me God by his grace. God is going to rock the nations from 40th and Walnut. He's going to do that because I've read the Bible. I know what he wants to do. And if we'll get full of faith, we'll move forward in faith, God will rock the nations for his glory from a little church in the hood in the middle of Kansas City. And there will be people, so help us God, by his grace, there will be people at the judgment seat of Christ who will be naming Amen. Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And they won't know our name. Why? Because we sent people who planted a like-minded ministry and they trained, and they sent people who trained, and sent people who trained and planted, and, and won them. And, and they have no idea that there are great, 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 great grandbabies in the faith. Uh, but man, they'll know the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll point at them and say, you're our crown of rejoicing. You're our reward. To, you know? I mean, like, what else is there in life? Like, I am living for that day where I can see people who, and they won't even, I'll have to introduce myself to them. <laughs> you know, it's like, I never knew you, I never, but I've been praying for you, I've been dreaming about you my whole life. And to finally meet you here is like, we get to be a part of that, you know? Um, and, and then when it, so you start laying that vision, and people are like, yeah, that's, I don't want to waste my life, I want fruit of the judgment seat. You got to talk about the judgment seat a lot, brothers. A lot. It's got to come up all the time. You know, otherwise you waste your life. <laughs> and so people will say, okay, I, I, need to, I, need to get, I need to get involved. Not just talking about it. I got to do the things that are commanded over my life. I want fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. And then when people start going out, okay, we, it was like sick. You know, we send out all these people 
to go to Crosstown and to Tampa, and, and it hurts to see him go, like you don't want him to go. Like the, the, the pastor side of me is like, no, don't go, stay here. Well, I'm not Genesis 11 in it. The objective isn't to build a tower and make a name for myself at 40th and Walnut, you know? The commission is be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and so they got to go. Just like I don't want to give my daughter away. I mean, I don't know how Billy's got three daughters. I mean, how are you still walking, man? I mean, I just don't get it. You give these girls away. That last little girl, like you get to keep one, right? (laughs) So you you give them away, you know? And then they just do so well. can't, like I can't even have this conversation with Dan, with Mark. I'm so proud of them, you know, Um, like they're my heroes. You know, they're going out and trusting God to reproduce, to multiply ministry. I've been there. I've done that. I know how hard it is. I know the battle that you go through. I know, I know the, the fights that you have to fight. I mean, I, and they're, they're doing it. And then all the people that are joining with them to do it with them. They're pioneers, you know. And they're saying, I'm going to step outside my comfort zone. I'm going to step side out, out of everything that's like, I mean, you know, we, we're not like a, a church plan anymore. There's all these services and support. There's all these leaders running around making sure your kids are taken care of and making sure everything's moving smooth and, and the building is safe, clean, and ready. Ah, sorry. Again, I'm not Alan Shelby. No elegant emotion here. Okay, and they're doing it. They're stepping outside their comfort zone. They're reproducing ministry, and God's using them. The ministry is being reproduced. When the church sees that, when the people begin stepping out, it fires everybody up, and the disciples take their discipleship more seriously because the judgment seat is on the line. Right, the Bible study leaders are more fervent in their communication because the judgment seat is on the line. Is this making sense? Identifying, but then sending proven fruit bearing. I don't want to just send somebody because, hey, I want to teach. Well, good for you. Go win some people and teach them. You know, oh, I think you need to give me the pulpit more. Like that's always a red flag. Red flag. Uh, you need to get out of the way, Pastor, and let me show God's people a thing or fifty. Wait till I invite you. You know. You gotta, it, but the ones that are fruit-bearing, God's using them. They're winning souls. They're making disciples. They're actually a part of training and establishing leaders. They're either going to multiply ministry because God called them to your local church, so they stay there to multiply ministry, or you're sending them somewhere. Does that make sense? Uh, you want to be willing to send. So everything that we do in ministry must contribute to the bottom line of winning, discipling, and sending. And those that are doing it, we've got to let them go. I'll run through this last point quickly, not because it's not important. This is actually the most important section of everything I can share with you, but it's not rocket science, so I can say it in a few minutes. Number three, we must ensure, right, we've got a training structure, but we've got to ensure that we have a power plan. And so we've got to make sure the church is led by growing leaders that are dependent on God and prayer. Prayer is your next blank. And so we very clearly communicated, MBT, that our Tuesday night prayer ministry is the biggest deal on our agenda. It's the most important service that we have. It is more important than Sunday morning. Uh, It is the most important ministry 
function, ministry capacity that you can serve in, it is the biggest deal possible at Midtown Baptist Temple. Why? Because that powers everything else that we have. We win souls of Christ because we pray for them. And we pray for them because we're commanded to in 1 Timothy chapter 2, right? We, we do it. Wait, or am I saying that wrong? Yeah, I, we, and, um, we pray for kings and all. We make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men because God wants them all to be saved. That's chapter 2, right? Verses 1 through 4. Um, we do that because we're instructed to, but that's actually, we have it because we ask for it. Everything that we have in ministry, we trusted God for. We, I mean, literally, we're living what we ask for. Okay, so we pray for souls, they get saved. We disciple because we called on the Lord to give us uh, willing workers for the harvest to train up and send. Charles Spurgeon, he was pastor of what was arguably the most successful pulpit ministry in the history of the church, claimed that where his prayer ministry was concerned, it was the power plant or the boiler room of his church. Everything that happened out of the Metropolitan Tabernacle was a result of God's people coming together to pray. And so that brings us to point number two. We do not let anything interfere with our corporate prayer ministry. Nothing is permitted to interfere with the Tuesday night prayer ministry. You say, why isn't it on Wednesday night? Well, because that's when uh, we, we want to pace our week, right? So Thursday night is a big deal for our church. That's where all the worship practice takes place. And so we have a lot of people engaged with that. We didn't want two people or two big groups of people meeting at night at the church two nights in a row back to back, right? So that's kind of how we paced out our week. So we do Sunday worship, Tuesday night prayer, and then a lot of activity happens on Thursday and Friday night at the church. And so, you know, we could, we could just as easily have done this on Wednesday night. The principle is, is that our corporate gathering, our corporate prayer is priority. Priority is the next blank. Um, I don't let people hinder that. I don't let people, if, if somebody schedules ministry activity on Tuesday night, they're in big trouble. Uh, the only exception that we allow to that is our youth. They get to do a hangout on first and third, I think it is. First and third Tuesday nights, they do a youth hangout. But again, they're praying together. Does that make sense? Okay, so you don't get to plan anything that competes with Tuesday night. Just like we don't let anybody hinder uh, or plan things that compete with our Sunday morning services. Okay, so because I'm the pastor, I am the church planter, um, I, I need to have some pulpit time because I'm going to be the guy that God uses to keep everybody going the same direction. We've got all these leaders. I mean, if there's, a, if there's 150 leaders at Midtown Baptist Temple that are growing, I mean, well, if we count disciples, it's half the church. They're growing in ministry leadership capacity. That means you can have 250 different agendas and we need to be on the same page moving forward together in ministry. And so they got to hear from me uh, two-thirds of the time. I'm happy if I'm, if I'm in the pulpit over half the time, two-thirds of the time. That's the, the objective that I'm setting for. And, and I make sure I'm not the one with the mic at least a fourth of the time. Um, but I want to make sure that we're all moving together. Okay, so the people that, 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 that they come to service... And they're in the hallways all the time. They're in the stairwells all the time. Mark those people. Uh, because there's, this is when, I mean, 9 o'clock Sunday morning, that's when God's people worship at 40th and Walnut. You need to be there. 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, okay, unless you're providentially hindered. Maybe you've got something else better to do. That's fine. You're not going to do it here, okay. Um, if, you're at, if you're with us in ministry, you're working to make Tuesday night a priority in ministry. And so over half the church is out 
roughly two-thirds of the church will make it out to the corporate prayer ministry regularly. That requires, then, that the prayer ministry runs right. Okay. People want to come to your services if they're on target. That means you've got to have true, joyful, earnest worship and earnest preaching and teaching. Right? There's got to be a balance in place. I mean, I know if we're, if we're entertaining, uh, if that's the, 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 the hook, then we're in trouble because Hollywood is far more entertaining than any of us have the capacity for. And you may be so funny and you may be so entertaining, but that's going to produce a fickle people, right? It'll, that, that getting people through the pleasure and the entertainment that pleases the flesh produces a, a fickle church. People need to know the word. So we need earnest worship, and we need earnest preaching and teaching. And for whatever it's worth, I'll just tell you how I roll. I made this decision a long time ago. I'm not eloquent. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not actually the sharpest tack in the box. And, uh, but I have a Bible, and it is self-interpreting. And so it's very hard to mess up when you take a literal approach to Scripture. And so I made a decision a long time ago that whenever I've got the mic, I'm just going to focus on what the text says. And the way I roll in ministry is I'm going to say what the Bible says. And so anybody that comes for any length of time, once they come to the place where they're growing as a leader, they should be able to look at me as a pastor and say, you know what, I can do that. Um, well, pastor My I mean, if Pastor Miles can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and, uh, that, and, and I think that's encouraging for a lot of people. Uh, man, say what the book says. Uh, this is why we value expository preaching so highly. What are you doing? You just, man, here's what the book says, and I want to make sure you see that. I want to make sure you understand what the Bible is saying here and how it applies to your life and how you're going to use it in ministry when you lead other people for God's glory. And over time, the Word does the work, and they say, you know what, I can do that, and then the leadership core grows by another member. Number three, our prayer ministry focus. Our prayer ministry focus is on a kingdom agenda. Okay, so we do, prayer, we do prayer over felt needs, but if that's all you do, that gets lame really quick. I grew up in prayer meetings where it was a lot about jobs and bunions and bursitis and bad backs, and I did a lot of sleeping in a lot of prayer meetings. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to another one. But if we, I, I gotta tell you, um, we will regularly have seasons of prayer fasting at, at MBT, minimum one a year. And uh, typically we'll take a, a two to four, you know, usually we land on a three weeks of some kind of prayer and fasting. And um, we get an Andrew list, and uh, we're going to pray and fast for souls. And we'll have anywhere from five to ten people on a list that we're crying out to God for, that we're in contact with, and, and uh, it's pretty sweet at the end of that month how many people were able to lead somebody to Christ from your Andrew list and to see 20, sometimes 30 or more people raise their hand in the air. Is, that's, there's some shouting in the prayer meeting. I mean, it gets lit up real quick. And then here's, where the, here's, here's the money question. Uh, how many of you guys have gotten to start a Bible study with someone as a result of this time, this season of praying, crying out to God, and you see 20 or 30 hands go up? <laughs> that is, you know, and then to have times or seasons of testimony in the prayer meeting. So we've been praying, we've been asking, what's God been doing? And uh, a lot of people are afraid to pass the mic around, and that's legitimate. People say a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> and so again, you're going to make messes, and, and, you'll and God will give you the grace and the ability to clean those up. 
But man, whenever the people can, in, in, in front of the body of Christ, can give praise and testify over how God hears and answers prayer, you know what? They're not going to the prayer ministry. It's their prayer ministry. Do you see the difference? And so our Tuesday night prayer ministry, that corporate worship time, that corporate prayer time, it is the single most joyful, it is the single most exciting meeting that we have, bar none. That's where the party's at, at Midtown Baptist Temple. So we pray over felt names. We want to pray for jobs. We want to pray for bad, you know, health problems and that kind of thing. But we're primarily focused on praying for the advancement of God's kingdom, and that is very exciting. We're out of time, but tomorrow uh, I won't spend, there's a lot there, and basically this is the spiel that we give for our nine ministry principles. It's very key for our ministry leadership development, and if you, if you get some time, you might just read through that before our meeting tomorrow, because I'm not going to go through every point, but I'm going to tell you what the points are, why we have the points that we have, and, and then we'll wrap up tomorrow. God bless you guys.